Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Okay, so you want to invest in the UK, you want to invest in Bali, you want to invest in Malaysia. We've got two great guys in the studio today to help you out. You're wondering what kind of property should I be looking at investing in? How do I figure out financing? Do I can't use my CPF. Do I have to pay up 100% cash if I want to invest overseas? What do I do? And then, of course, there's these additional costs that you might be wondering, different tax jurisdictions. So what comes into play there? We've got all your questions answered with my friends from iQuad. Joining me this morning are Sean Lee, founder. Uh, he is head of portfolio as well at iQuadrant. How are you, Sean? I'm great. I'm excited to be here today. Okay. Well, good of you to join us. Also joining us, Benny Ong, CEO of iQuadrant. How are you, Benny? Glad to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you to just pull that mic over, Sean, uh, so that that can work. Perfect. All right. Wonderful. So, guys, before we start, what I want to ask you a question on the Singapore budget. We just set an excerpt a while ago. Um, what among the Singapore budget measures announced stood out for you? I think there's two big measures that stood out for us. Um, one is actually the property tax. Um, the other is actually the BTO voucher because these two largely impacts the majority of the population. So I'm going to start off with the BTO voucher first. Right? I think that's something that one of the key reasons why HB prices have been going up consistently in the last couple of years is because of the waiting time for BTOs. That's one of the main key reasons as well. So I think with the BTO vouchers coming through, uh, we do not know the exact details yet, but basically governments have said that they want to give a voucher that is a value of about one year worth of rent, be you rent it from the open market or from the government itself. So that by itself will encourage the more young owners to go for BTO and that should actually ease the increasing of price point for the resale HDB uh, prices. And the second one is actually property tax. Maybe ben, um, um, ben, you to give I think a little bit on, yeah. on the voucher as well. Mm-hmm. I think Singaporeans are starting to lose faith on the, the waiting time of BTO. So this move definitely helped them to gain more traction in terms of like new couples starting on BTOs, right? So this will slow down resale transactions in the BTO market and hopefully that will ease down the whole price hype in a HDB. Which I generally think is a good move uh, by the government because I think the HDB prices have gone up very, very dramatically in the last mm. two to three years. Yeah, yeah. even for BTOs, right? Um, so even even for BTOs, yes. Mm. Um, but not as the growth of BTO price point have not been anywhere near to how fast the resale HDB, HDB prices have gone. It's very insane, the prices. Got it. And then there are property tax changes are meant to significantly reduce the cost of owner-occupied properties. Do you think that's significant? Yes, I think property tax itself, I think um, is definitely the is very welcomed. Um, of course, in Singapore, so far from what I, I've spoken to my peers, um, we are expected to pay a lower property tax value if you are using it for your own stay um, based on the mass market um, projects or mass market um, uh, properties itself. So um, what happens over here is that um, what I think is the bigger point is that the government actually choose not to touch anything in terms of property tax changes for non-owner occupied, which have increased significantly um, compared to last year's and two years um, property tax value. So a very simple example is this, right? Mm. Um, let's say if you rent out your property for 12 months on average today, um, about one month 
to one and a half month or their rent will be going to property tax. And this is on top of your income tax that you have to pay by renting out your property. And this is a very, very big um, taxation uh, move by the government. Basically, what the government is looking at today is saying that um, you want a home or you want to buy a property. If a home stay, that's fine. Uh, policies will protect you for your home. But then if you're looking to make money off property, basically you will be taxed. Right. Okay. Do you want to add to that? And also for the affluent market who owns like core city region in Singapore or the landed homes, right? The tax bracket is uh, still kept, right? So I think the tax uh, is is quite smart to still tax the affluent, which keeps it more a uh, balanced playing ground, right? And when you talk about this um, as a comparison, so it's easier to understand. In the past, your tax for you renting out property, right? It's about half a month worth. Now it's about one and a half month worth, right? So you're talking about a significant jump as well. The market will not understand this number directly, mm. but we will see the net impact happening in about one year's time during the next tax, right? So people will be like, oh my God, <laughs> it costs me so much money because it affects cash flow because you're going to pour out a hefty sum for tax. And this hopefully does slow down the market and more importantly sub-sale people who have a condo who haven't yet ran out right after three years will start to be thrown onto the market this will increase supply and hopefully this will make price more competitive for the new launch as well so we see a very soft market moving forward in the next few years because it's a soft market have you been seeing more people come forward to ask for help looking at overseas how's the demand for overseas properties oh definitely i think we started our own personal journey investing overseas in 2019. We started exploring in 2018. Interesting. Yeah. Um, when it's 2018 or 19, the, the demand for overseas property is really low. Uh, I would say that most people around us are, are questioning us, hey, why are we investing overseas property when you can invest and make money in Singapore? Mm. But I would say that today, if you talk to most friends or, 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 or family members around you, I think many of them do get curious um, in, in today's context when it comes to overseas property. They're like, oh, how do you really invest? They start asking these kind of quality questions rather than why do you want to invest in overseas property instead of Singapore property? Mm. I think this all largely plays down obviously in the general sentiment in the market that Singapore property prices have gone up a lot in the last two to three years. Hence, um, the attention outside of Singapore um, is, is something that is more common today. Mm, why is, do you think it's important that Singapore investors contemplate overseas property now in their portfolio? Definitely, because we are in a really soft market, right? And most people are looking at other options like crypto. I think uh, crypto is not an appetite for everyone, right? And they have seen the rise and fall in stocks. So when they really fall into real estate category, they are going into an asset class that is relatively stable, right? Because real estate is income generating. Mm. So if it's going to make money for you, whether the property grows or drops, you know, in the short run, it might not matter if you're holding it for long, right? So overseas portfolio is definitely something that I personally have a huge exposure in myself. And that's... Uh, something that Singaporeans should really look forward to. I'm looking at the Knight Frank Wealth Report 2022, recently released March actually. The top three countries for Singaporeans purchasing property abroad are the UK, US and Australia. Not that much different from where Singaporeans were looking before mm -hmm. the pandemic. Do you share the same interests? Okay, there's a big reason why these three are, are most popular as well because you realise these three usually have all the top universities. Right. So, so many of the parents uh, will naturally look at where um, the kids might potentially go for in studies as well. And instead of just paying rent, yeah, they want to pay a mortgage. Rent. Exactly right. So that is a very huge motivation for Singaporeans to even explore overseas. That's the first motivation actually. It is. Not really investment, right? But as today, I would say that uh, when it comes to investment point of view, uh, we are largely very bullish on the UK market. And we have personally invested more than 10 units ourselves in the UK market itself. Now, I think UK market is really interesting. 
um, because um, UK markets uh, is, a, is a market where you can also get financing as a Singaporean using your Singapore income. So you have two options. Mm-hmm. You can take a loan from Singapore Bank, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which like banks like Maybank uh, do offer loans. Uh, you can also take a loan from the UK banks using your local income. And that is a big game changer, right? Because you of course now need much lesser money to actually purchase a UK property. Now, What's the quantum you can get? You know, um, in, in London, uh, typically I don't really like to invest too in the city centre because the prices are high. So most like in Singapore, um, you don't see many Singaporeans want to invest in Orchard Road. Yeah, right? I know more, many Singaporeans want to live there the, either. Yes, right, more yeah. in the OCR region. Mm-hmm. Similarly, because uh, London is a more developed city, mm-hmm. so we tend to like to invest the, our version of Amokyo, Bishan, Lentor in, in that context in, in, in UK, right? And you'll be surprised. Um, a two-bader, uh, two-bath over there will probably cost you around 450000 to 480000 pounds. Pounds, yeah. Yep. And financing, you're able to get um, up to 75% loan in the UK. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So UK is one area that you're looking at. Also Bali, right? Yes, definitely. Because, of course, uh, one of the most famous destinations Singaporeans like to travel is Bali. I mean, most people that I hang out with actually been to Bali, right? So recently, there's some policy uh, changes as well in the Indonesia side where Singaporeans can actually own a leasehold title land, right? And that is a really big game changer. Coupled with the acceptance of Airbnb, largely, right, when you go, you go there for holiday right, and renting a villa, right, we are hitting yield about 15 to 18% net net to you, right? And that brings a very interesting proposition. So we are not really there for capital appreciation, but there is a strong you play about six years taking back your money, having your next 20 years right of free cash flow. Why this is a very big sector right now is because a lot of Singaporeans are looking for second income or retirement income. So rather than just keep growing your pot of wealth of less buying property that keeps scaling and growing, they are looking at somewhere that can provide them with passive income. Mm. So then this becomes a very viable option. And of course, Bali is not far away from home, so it's easier for them to travel down to understand what they are really investing. Interesting. And speaking about not far away from home, are you guys also interested in Malaysia? Our view has been uh, very polarised when it comes to uh, Malaysia real estate, right? It literally took us, uh, in context, it took us about 18 months just to find one project that we think is suitable for Singaporeans to invest. And what I heard, heard over the last two weeks in uh, Lunar New Year is that everybody seems to be buying some JB um, property, right? which I would say um, you have to be very cautioned when it comes to purchasing Malaysia real estate. What is the caution you want to put out there for I, investors? I think that um, we as Singaporeans were handcuffed to buy um, 1 million ringgit and above property values in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Hence, you tend to hear more unsuccessful stories of mm-hmm. Singaporeans investing in Malaysia as compared to successful ones. The reason is very simple. Because if you to buy something in JB, let's say for example, for a million ringgit, mm-hmm. while most locals just across the street is buying almost the same specification kind of condominium that you pay 1 million ringgit for mm-hmm. at 500,000 ringgit, it's only natural that you will not be able to make money, right? Hence, that is why um, just from this policy itself of buying high-valued property in Malaysia itself just give us a lower success rate as Singaporeans. Hence, that's why Ben has mentioned that we are very, very picky when it comes to our investment in Malaysia because... Well, yeah, most Sing- most Singaporeans like, like to divide by 3.5 yeah. when it comes to buying something in uh, Malaysia. And yeah. it's a very dangerous sign, right? Because the locals there can't divide by 3.5, right? So you really need to use perspective of who are you really selling this as a real estate to? So for us, we want to buy something where the local can absorb the property, right? And not just seeing it as a retirement home. So the price point is really hard to match right now. You need to find something about five, six hundred k 
RM in JB and to us that is maybe acceptable, right? Mm. And just by having this price point alone, wipe out 90% of the offer right now. You mentioned exit strategy. We've talked about this before. It's part of your criteria of looking at investable properties. Um, you know, who's going to take it on after you, right? You, I understand you prepared for six criteria for our listeners to think about when investing overseas. Sean, you yep. want to take us through that? Okay, so, so one of the most important criteria is what you mentioned is actually exit strategy because at the end of the day, um, to make money from property, especially if you're looking to exit from the property, you need to sell it to someone else. Someone need to buy it from you, mm. right? And, and this is also one of the core reasons why using exit strategy as a main criteria. Um, also the reason why we are so bullish in the UK market. I'll give you what's happening on a big overview in the UK, right? Just about four, three, four years ago, um, the rental yield in London is typically falls around the three to four percent mark. All right. Whereas today you are able to find many properties in the market for five and a half percent rental yield to even six percent rental yield in wow. London. Mm. Right. And what does this mean? Is that basically um, the price point has been stagnant because of the growing interest rate environment. However, rents have increased by 40, 50 percent in the last two to three years itself. Now, how is this different from Singapore market? If you think about it. Rents have gone up, but property price has also gone up. So if you really look at it, there isn't that much of an opportunity gap when it comes to play. But in the UK today, rents are significantly higher right, than the property price point. Now, what will happen when interest rates start dropping, then this forms as a big opportunity because how locals would think is very simple. Is it cheaper to buy over renting? Mm. And as long as you can answer this question, it's cheaper to buy, significantly cheaper to buy as compared to rent, you can expect the whole uh, you can expect locals to start coming to buy instead of renting and that is a very nice um, of course um, environment for prices to go up when interest rate starts dropping hmm, I like how you factored in the interest rate environment as yes. well so that, that's the argument for uh, the UK any more of the principles so the first principle is that you've decided to highlight is the exit strategy mm-hmm. and yes. what are some of the others so I think number, number two very importantly is to have full ownership so a lot of times when you buy into a real estate right, you're buying into schemes unknowingly. For example, if you're buying to a hotel project, you're buying to a room of a hotel, say for example in Malacca or some interesting scheme, actually you largely don't have control over the whole process of it. You're renting out based on the strata unit on the whole development. Someone is managing for you. Someone is giving you some return that is split across 10, 20 or even 50 investors, right? So those you have very slow control and with very low control, you can't really make a decision to buy or sell and that is a very big trap as well. So be careful of buying into schemes like this whereby they really cover it up you know to say oh it's part of certain core management because Mm. you lack control and you really don't have the power to sell or buy uh, sorry, sorry you don't have the power to really sell anytime you want so and that's very dangerous mm. yeah. maybe I can go into one more criteria okay, <laughs> so just to it, clarify yeah. it's not just timeshares that you're talking about there no no yeah, it's not just timeshare because okay. a lot of people actually didn't even sign the right people to get a title deed that's the scary part yeah. wow okay yeah. please yeah. go one ahead one more criteria is sure. definitely uh, occupancy rate so to be more specific uh, maybe for short term lets I mean you're looking at Airbnb putting uh, on OTA booking.com going for short term lets mm. we typically want it to be above 70% occupancy as a general country or city number. Right? And of course, for long-term lets, um, that means you're looking at one-year, two-year contracts, uh, typically you want it to be on 90 to 95% occupancy as a bare minimum. Now, why this is important is because when we invest into something, especially in a particular city, we do not want to be swimming against the tide. Yeah. We do not want to be the best in the category to even make, a mo- to make money. Right? Mm-hmm. Therefore, I think going for a general um, high occupancy, either short-term lets or 70 percent or long-term lets at 90 percent mm-hmm. itself that basically means that you don't even need to be particularly good at investing to make money 
in that scenario. You are always having that tenant coming in to actually rent your property, which then of course covers your monthly obligation to on this purchase of property. How would I figure out what that figure is? Um, you know, most data is actually published hmm. into their local government. You website. mean for the area? For the area or for the city. Mm. So even if today it's just a simple Google way to really just, just scan through the government website, let's say in the UK, mm-hmm. it's, op- it's open data, it's, it's published data. Mm-hmm. So for example, we best slash in London, Manchester. Mm-hmm. London occupancy rate is around the 96, 97%. And for Manchester, occupancy rate is around the 97, 98%. And all these are all published data. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. I'm talking to Sean Lee, founder and head of portfolio at iQuadrant. Also joining us is Benny Ong, who is the CEO of iQuadrant. They're helping us understand what you need to think through when investing in overseas properties. I think we've gone through three criteria of the six. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So the next thing is to look at true rental yield, right? So a lot of people, when they are being presented with a real estate, they do not understand what is the rental yield on table as well. So when we look at true rental yield, we look at how do you rent out as a whole unit as itself. So in Malaysia, more often than not, someone will present to you a rental yield of Airbnb data. They will say, oh, what if we split into multiple rooms to rent out, right? So of course, those rental yield will sound very high and very attractive. Truth be told, if the real estate is not built accordance for the purpose of Airbnb, you will only see a 40 to 50% occupancy rate, which means you will end up having the same renter as renting it to a single tenant itself. So the rental yield will be low. So be careful about what rental data you are being presented to. So most often than not, if you are buying in Malaysia, I will ask for the rental. You can go and search in Property Guru. If you are renting it to a single tenant, what is the price? And that is the true rental. True yen, rental yield. Yeah, something so simple like that. But you think people do fall for whatever is presented to them. They don't ask the question. And on top of that, right, just a, a little more advanced version of that is mm. you really need to see the purpose of the real estate, right? So a lot of times these real estate are not built for short-term rental, but they are being marketed as short-term rental. What are they built for? Can They're you give us an for example? They are or just built for long-term tenants, right? Okay. But they will never dare to present these data to you because it sounds just way too off the chart, right? The price they are selling, right? Mm. So you're going to really be careful about that as well. So okay. imagine if you're not in CD Centre Core in KL, Mm-hmm. you're somewhere further out and they say oh this is for Airbnb hotel it's gonna, you're not going to really have a 100% occupancy rate and that will be a big issue such an exciting show packed with great principles of what to look at when you're investing in overseas property we've been talking about investing in the UK and investing in Bali in particular we've covered four of the six criterion they are think of your exit strategy the rental yield uh, occupancy rate ownership what are you really buying into there are two more principles that I really want to hear about from my friends from iQuadrant. Sean Lee is founder and head of portfolio and Benny Ong is CEO of iQuadrant. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for staying with me. So you know what? I'll be sharing one and Benny will share the other. Okay, very equitable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll start off with um, one of the um, principles is actually called tailwind principle. So basically, tailwind just means that let's say if an airplane is flying, if the wind is blowing with the the airplane because you tend to reach the destination faster. So that's tailwind, right? So basically, what happens over here is that we want to invest in areas that have money actually being flowed into that particular city or area. So for example, why Bali? If you guys do not know, there's an announcement that came up where actually the government is very incentivized to improve the infrastructure the transport infrastructure in Bali. So there will be LRT coming up in 2027. Mm, mm, that actually mm. goes to like Simiya, which is the area that we invest in. Mm. So that is a very big infrastructure change, which is, means money is flowing in, uh, which is a very good um, uh, opportunity for price increment or price growth for our properties. The second one, let's say for example, um, another example would be in UK. We like to invest in this thing called regeneration area. So regeneration area just means that typically 
um, um, it's a 3,000 home project. Mm-hmm. And we like to enter in, let's say, on the first 200 homes. So that the developer will do his, his job for us by slowly increasing the price point as the area becomes more and more developed, as they bring in officers in the area, as they bring in more families to the area, build parks in the area. Right? And that is typically a very beautiful environment for capital appreciation as well. You have really a lot more predictability if it's a multi-phase project and if in phase one, phase two. And that also means that we want to focus on large-scale, uh, big FTSE 100 uh, developers. So that is your safety line. And on the last note, right, which is something that goes uh, against true rental you, but is really important, it's called multi-tenant option. So why this is important? So maybe I give two specific examples. In the UK, so one of the strongest yield project is our student accommodation. So mm. a lot of people invest in student accommodation, but guess what happened during COVID? No so students. it just got wiped out, right? And yep. the specs is so tightly packed for students, it is not a viable option for a long-term tenant, right? And that is a really big issue. So when we want to invest in areas like in Manchester, we are looking out for a strong student pool that pays a lot of income because it's not their money, because their, their, their parents pay it. Pay renter right? so it's always high rental right uh, at the same time it is also open for uh, office workers and if you really still want to push the line to really do Airbnb it's also acceptable so we want to really look at multi-tenant pool uh, purposes so that you're not trapped with a single situation in Bali during COVID right what's shocking to us during our research is that most villas are about 30 to 40% occupied. So we're like, where, where are they from? There's no tourists, right? It is because of long-term tenant. So there's also an option for long-term tenant uh, option in Bali, even though you make more money in your daily rental. Mm-hmm. But you want to know that as your safeguard that even though worst thing happened, you still make that 6 to 8% rental you. What mm. are your safety nets, essentially? Yes. Right? Mm. Okay, so we've covered all six principles. Uh, for somebody thinking, I like these guys. I want to find out. How do they help Singaporeans invest in overseas properties? Do you have any services? So uh, the classic saying is the biggest gap is not income gap but knowledge gap, right? So it's important to step up your knowledge, right? So we, we do uh, classes uh, just over the weekend, in fact, right? Uh, two-day class as well. So if you're interested, go to uh, iQuadrant, our website. But more importantly, how we do purchase in real estate is through our licensed real estate arm. We do not have a situation where we have a lot of projects that's available. What we like to do is to aggregate demand. And with this demand, I would say not pressure but influence developer to give us that a lot more attractive price or even getting private access. Even in our latest uh, project as well, we have about four to five points cheaper than the public launch and they are coveted launch. So Where is this project? It's in Manchester. Okay. Yeah. So we do coveted launch that uh, helps the developer to give us a better price but also not publicly saying they're on discount. So that's our style of investment. We call it demand-led and we call it the billion-dollar voice because once we aggregate we negotiate as a billionaire with the developer, often get better perks. Makes a lot of sense. Collective bargaining. Really yep. like the sound of that. <laughs> All right. So they have to join as a member or? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm just, just come in and find out more. I mean, Google, we are, we are, we are not too hard to find us. Yeah. All right. Ask well, more questions, right? Through all social media as well. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you both for coming by. It's been a great show as always. My friends from iQuadrant, Benny Ong and also Sean Lee. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.